0: Matthew
1: do you know what the first law of robotics is I do Tim actually don't do the title of this episode or our podcast
0: no I was gonna do this whole thing like uh have you tried turning it off and on again that's the first law of robotics <laughs>
1: you're right Tim I stand corrected
0: okay well anyway my name's Tim I'm a data engineer and I'm an eternal optimist
1: I'm Matthew and I am a data scientist and I when I am not a, a theorist I am a cynic And this is Kill All Humans.
0: So today's episode is one I've really been looking forward to. We are actually talking about iRobot. So we're not only going to just talk about the 2004 movie starring Will Smith, uh, but also talk about Isaac Asimov, uh, some of his ideas around, um, around robotics, AI, artificial intelligence, really interesting topic here today. Um, so I think just for framing the conversation, I think since most people are going to be familiar with the movie before they're familiar with the short story or book or anything else that came in, out of media, maybe we should start with a quick recap of the movie. What do you think?
1: I, I think it's an excellent idea. So um, the the movie is actually very, very different from the book or books, actually, truthfully. Uh, the original iRobot book was a compilation of short stories that span actually hundreds of years of a society being transformed by robots. And then he went on to almost literally write a universe of books where either the presence or absence of robots really informs um Every every aspect of, of his society and world. I mean, up to the point, like, you know, we're watching Foundation now on Apple TV, which is Isaac Asimov's most classic series. And one of the most awesome robot characters of all time is, uh, is a character called Ido Demersel, who is now portrayed as female in the TV series rather than male as in the original books. And uh, it's just... Uh, an absolutely awesome character who is a robot that is a spoiler. You will learn that pretty early on in the series, so I' not feel pretty comfortable sharing that. but like really an all time awesome, great robot character,
0: yeah, but for this one let's let's talk a quick recap of iRobot the two thousand and four film. so I can deliver that real fast. So in the future of twenty thirty five so thirty years from when the movie was made. 12 years from 13 years from, from today, today. <laughs> it's like, oh man, it's like you start to feel old after a while. So basically, robots are everywhere, they're part of society, they're servants, they're doing menial tasks, menial labor. A uh, detective named Del Spooner, a uh, sh- detective in Chicago Police Department, has a healthy mistrust of robots due to some negative interactions he had. He's called in to investigate the murder of the head of US Robotics, one Alfred Lansing. Uh, by the way, US Robotics. Real company, not affiliated with this one, though. So basically, everyone thinks it's suicide. This guy thinks the robots did it. But the robots, you see, can't commit murder because they are what's called three laws safe.
1: I'm I'm going to dive right in. I, I love the three laws. So the three laws are, the first law is a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come to harm. Second law, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. Third law, a robot must protect its own existence such as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. And these laws are so powerful. Not only have they spawned a whole genre, like, you know, if you talk about an Isaac Asimov robot, we know what you're talking about. But they are actually adopted as real world standards and practices. So Mm -hmm. when he wrote these books back in like 1950, basically 40, 50 years before the first robots came around, what he set forth in his science fiction actually is making is real. It's making a real impact today in the world of robotics. They are, they are engineering standards.
0: Now, of course, in the movie, things go very wrong because classic right. science fiction trope. Well, we're yeah. going to interpret these laws to mean that humanity must be protected from themselves. So right. uh, robots must enslave humans in order to save humans to obey the three laws.
1: So this is a great conflict that comes up in a whole lot of science fiction sagas, not just Asimov's, but others like person of interest and everything else. And it comes about from a question and how you interpret what is called the Zeroeth Law. So I wanna read the Zeroeth Law. The Zeroeth Law is a robot may not harm humanity or by an inaction allow humanity to come to harm. Now this Zeroeth Law forms a really Critical central plot point to the movie and the books, but more importantly, it really frames the central debate to the role of robots in society.
0: Mm -hmm. And what's interesting too is that that the way we phrase that right there, humanity Mm
1: -hmm. versus
0: an individual, a person. uh, You know, like like or even just like the term humanity, because all of a sudden we're talking now about a group. We're not talking about an individual. So if the law was a robot shall not let an individual come to harm, there's a bit more wiggle room there for the robot to go, hey, maybe I shouldn't enslave all mankind or humankind, I should say.
1: Except the problem is that enslaving all mankind might be the only way to save humanity.
0: Yeah, isn't that such an interesting plot? So it's it's funny like this particular point has been reused by so many other authors and shows mm-hmm. up in so many different bits of science fiction. Uh, so key is is that so for one we see this happening in Arthur C. Clarke, uh, two thousand one. We see Hal kind of having a similar conflict. Uh, Terminator, if you watch Terminator Salvation, was also built on this. Um, we also and the see the Matrix. And the Forbin Project and so many other different things come up because of this one core idea that Isaac Asimov set in motion. So it's a shame we've taken so long to talk about this. But I think with (laughs) this, I I love this topic. I'm telling you.
1: I know. And what's great about this movie is you have two radically different interpretations of the zeroth law, which come head to head. So you have Vicky, the supercomputer, and they both become... Not, they're not just three laws protected, which is what they're called in the movie, but both of which become zeroth law aware or for the fourth law aware. But they do so in radically different ways. And and that's what drives the conflict in the movie.
0: So I think for me, there are two big themes from this film that we can take away in our current uh, culture of data. OK, so one we've talked about. I would say pretty extensively in the last episode we did, which was Blade Runner, where what is, uh, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be sentient? Because again, Sonny, the robot protagonist in this film, dreams. He has a subconscious. So the question is, is that there's, is having a subconscious, um, a prerequisite for sentience. We don't know. Jury's out. Listen to our last episode. But the yeah. one I want to discuss is that if you watch the movie, when these robots are being advertised, what do they constantly say? These robots are three laws safe. As if this is something that, okay, they are three laws safe, nothing bad will happen right up until it does. So the question I have then, as we're going to society with data... Should we be taking, don't worry, we got this, here are the guardrails? Uh, should we take that with a bit more skepticism than we are today? And this is coming from the optimists, right?:
1: Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so, because like, while the three laws are, are absolutely brilliant and they provide you know a moderate level of protection, the, the, the real problem is that at the same time, as you're putting these robots into society, they are actively transforming society merely by their presence within it. Society itself is changing. And this is some of the beauty of the stories as he goes on and he talks about all these different stages of human robot evolution. But you can't create any perturbation, particularly one of this size, to society and say, oh, well, nothing's going to happen. It's just three laws safe. Nothing to worry about here. Don't look behind the door.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, to like the, the closest analog, and I was thinking about this, that I could find society today when it comes to trusting, uh, trusting how this works. If we leave AI for a second and leave sort of the artificial intelligence robots, that sort of thing, and go to how do, who do we trust with our data? So, like Facebook, right. Google, all these other companies. Uh, so, Google, for example, is famous. Their motto was "Don't be evil," which is kind of making fun of Microsoft. Which, of course, they abandon as soon as they realize they can make a lot more money from being just maybe a little bit evil. Because at right. the at the end of the day, we have shareholders, right? So, I, I think well, I mean a
1: little bit evil is the sweet point, the sweet spot in profitability. Exactly right. Just just a smidge, just a smidge. Right. <laughs> too evil and you get into trouble. Exactly. Not evil enough, you just don't make enough money. So, there is there's a there is a evil maxima in terms of probability.
0: <laughs> so, we got to program a little bit of evil into our into our modeling. That that that's what we have to do here. Yeah. So, so I think so I think about that and I think about okay, so one of the themes here is that the extreme level of trust that we are putting into these companies whether it's our data whether it's our ai whether or not it's who's building our automobiles are they safe uh, so uh, really at the end of the day it's it, it's a theme as old as time it's that the only difference here is is that the ramifications for things going horribly wrong when it comes to data data science ai machines the ramifications it feels like the stakes are a little bit higher um, then when they were, if it's just, okay, you make a faulty GM makes a faulty vehicle, let's say, uh, you know, yeah, you may have some recalls, you may have some deaths, uh, that's absolutely horrible, but you're not going to have wide scale cyber attacks. You're not going to have basically what's akin to a data version of nuclear Armageddon, right? And,
1: and, but don't assume that there has to be a flaw for there to be a problem though. See, that's, that's the other part. See, there's the economic problem. And the economic problem assumes that this all works perfectly let's say three laws safe works a hundred percent everything works exactly as expected there's still an issue here and that's very simple you have this company us robotics that is manufacturing a product which can do all jobs so it can go mine for you it can farm for you it can go to outer space for you it can travel to the exploration. You could do environmental restoration for you. It can recycle your waste products. It can purify your water. Now you have a thing that does everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, how important does this become in the economy? Like, let's say we invent a robot and it's going to replace long haul trucking. Well, that's 3% of employment of the United States. And so then the other problem is that becomes like, well, we don't need anything else. Like, All I need is a robot, and then I can live my life fully and completely in any way that I want to because my robot can do all my work for me. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the only thing I'm going to buy? Well, I'm going to buy a robot, (laughs) or I'm going to pay money to somebody who's buying a robot. So now we, we have radically transformed our economy in one thing, one economic good has overtaken all others in importance yeah what's gonna happen? u s. robotics is going to become not just the most wealthy corporation in existence, they're going to become the only company in existence.
0: And you know what i I'm a little bit more optimistic about this than I think than um than I think a lot of people should because I mean, at the end of the day, Post-scarcity and uh, zero employment, it's going to happen at some point. I mean, this is, this is oh, inevitable. Yeah. The only difference here with this scenario is that you have one company producing one product, whereas, you know, mm-hmm. what would really happen is, is that, okay, Elon Musk would create a robot, then Bezos would create a robot. And it's the same thing with, like, rocket ships, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, the economy, somebody would come out there. It's a disruptor. They would make a better robot. Somebody would at some point. This is just inevitable.
1: Until the robot is good enough. Until the various different competitors who are building the different robots decide to conclude, and then it's cheaper to merge. At some point, there is a theory out there which says that global income inequality is going to get so bad that the ultimate limit is that there's going to become one person or one cabal of people who are going to be so powerful that they cannot ever be overthrown. And so, however, you you divvy up the process, there's still a limit that we have to watch out for when, when the ultimate question becomes what happens. And, and some days we do this in movies a little bit more evocatively than what I'm talking about, but like what happens when society stops being our own, you know, and not just like in terms of like, like we're going to get taken over by robots, but what happens if robots just exist and they're very contented to serve us, but they start doing everything for us.
0: I liken it to this. So in 1900, um, 40% of the population was engaged in agriculture. Today, uh, right. in, in North America, so I'll say Canada, U.S., uh, f- surprise, surprise, I'm Canadian. People didn't realize that. Um, but I think the number is probably the same for Canada and the U.S., like demographically very mm-hmm. similar countries. The number is closer to 2% now. Let's say we have a time machine, and we go back in time and talk to somebody from the year 1900. Oh, uh, what do you do? Oh, I'm, I'm a turnip farmer. Uh, my family is turnip farmers. I, I live in a community of turnip farmers. What do you do? I'm a data engineer. What the hell is a data engineer? What the heck's a data scientist? What is a Instagram star? Well, like, the thing is is that if we were talking to uh, people from from way back when, could they even conceive of a world? Where forty percent of the population wasn't engaged in agriculture, so then the other portion of the population, human capital, is freed up to do other pursuits. So I think that the the idea that um, so I think a lot of people panic. Oh no, robots are going to replace us, or we're going to do these sort of uh, people are going to be unemployed. Uh, I think what's going to happen is that human capital is going to be freed, and it's not going to be that much different than every time we have a revolution, the industrial revolution, the data revolution, all these other things that have. Happened in society, we've had the same conversation. And this is going to be no different. What's going to happen is that there's going to be a major economic shift. Some people are going to get poorer. Some people are going to get richer. But at the end of the day, human society will adapt and find something to do with all that free human capital. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? I'm not sure. All I know is that I'm not particularly worried.
1: Yeah. So the, the transition is in many ways even more abrupt than you suggest. Because 200 years ago, 98% of the population was engaged in agriculture. And that's been pretty much true for the last 5,000, 10,000 years. I mean, it's basically 100% of the human population had to grow some portion of their own food in order to survive. So, yeah, there's no question we're coming up to a huge kind of major transition, which is really going to decide the focus of everything. But you see, you're getting ahead of yourself, Tim. I have to to hold you back here because now you're talking foundations. Uh, See, now uh, you're uh, getting into the the, the real holy grail, and it was inevitable that we're going to talk about asthma robots and not get to foundation, but you're right. Things are changing faster than they have ever changed before, so much so it's impossible to keep up and even understand all of the changes that have already happened, not just the changes that are yet to come. And that leads us to collapse and renewal.
0: So I look at it this way as well too. I think that we've got a situation too where our our frame of understanding when it comes to speed, like we look at all of human history, absolutely. But then, what happens a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand years from now? This is going to look like a blip when it comes to speed. Yeah. So I mean, we're we
1: hopefully. could hopefully. <laughs> well, let's hopefully. be honest. Hopefully, it is a blip and not the end. But yeah. Well,
0: I, I think w- there's been a lot of science fiction, too, around things like what does a post-scarcity society look like? and Because that, that's kind of what the world of iRobot in the film is. It's a post-scarcity society, except it's yeah. not because this is, uh, as you're putting it, a transitionary society, there's still money, there's still jobs, there's still everything around there. Um, it's just that, you know, the, the robots took over to make uh, Will Smith have an action film, which, you know, he, he does a great job in the film. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But I think uh, we are a post scarcity society, whether it's through robots, whether it's through better chemical engineering to grow more food, whether it's for space colonization, it's, it's happening. It's, it's just uh, inevitability. Well,
1: you, you have two very diametrically opposed directions. And obviously, there's going to be a kind of reorganization that comes about in the next century. That's a given. And I think it's really a given. But then you have a couple of different options for where things go from there. You can have the kind of Mad Max, apocalyptic frontier world. Or you can have a society that kind of figures out most of the stuff, at least as much as it can. But then, interestingly enough, when you start talking about post-scarcity worlds, your your demands become different. Your energy budget to basically continue to expand in the way that we want to do. Let's say we want to go to interstellar travel. Let's say we want to colonize other planets. Well, our energy budget continues to expand exponentially with the, the area that we wish to traverse. And the next step is fusion, and then various types of fusion in order to sustain interstellar travel. And then ultimately still, though, we, we have to find and constantly find exponentially increasing sources of energy because that's the growth pathway. Growth is always exponential. Now, maybe there's a third pathway, but for, for, for now, those are the two that are the most likely.
0: Yeah, and I'm trying to remember, you may know what this is. Um, there is a theory that uh, energy, the best way to rate a society for advancement is in its ability to produce and consume energy um right. it's well, uh yeah I, I i'll 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 add it to the notes in the podcast i did read this theory once again uh-huh. it's kind of escaping uh-huh. me at the moment uh but the idea is that and you're right it's an exponential it, it's it's not mm-hmm. a it's not a linear growth it's a logarithmic scale that you continue wow. uh you continue increasing uh that yeah. when you can produce and consume this kind of energy all of a sudden the technological advancements you can go through become yeah. so much more amazing so and if you think about it too this is mm-hmm. almost like every sci-fi film takes place in the future there's almost like some th- some kind of macguffin that does this or some sort of uh who's you wow. it or you call it a warp drive call it a stargate you call it mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. you call it uh whatever sort of energy it, it all comes back to how energy is produced and consumed and i think wow. once we get to that stage i mean the whole concept of economics, the whole concept of what is work, the whole concept of even needing a job could change radically. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some dystopian, a little more dystopian world. Like if you look at the world of The Expanse, for example, there's some episodes mm-hmm. that took place on Earth where every it's incredibly crowded. People want to get off the planet. Uh, they can't. And there are a lot of them are subsisting on basic income. You know, and I think that's more the dystopian view of it, whereas you know, me it,
1: it, it is, but even that world it, it exists at a much higher level of energy consumption. I mean, exponentially higher, as you say. and it and it's kind of interesting that this is all kind of like coming to a head that not only, you know, are we we undergoing kind of an economic or environmental transformation, but we're coming to, an energy-based transformation as well. We've existed for a very, very long time on carbon-based energy, really two, three hundred years. And now, as we need to ramp up to that next level of, you know, exponential transition, we're, we're hitting some real barriers that are coming all at the same time. I mean, this really is a, it's a very interesting kind of change point for history, a, a nexus point, as is sometimes called in the science fiction.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know what, um, Very interesting topic, but we actually are to the point where we probably need to start getting towards a close. Yeah. The the (laughs) iRobot discussion, this is why I love the world of Isaac Asimov. There's so many avenues to explore. You can explore sentience, robotics, AI, um, this concept of post-scarcity and how the economic Mm -hmm. impact of robots would be. So many different things to explore. So don't just watch the movie. Read the book. So good. Anyway, time to give this movie a Turing score. All right so as as our listeners know uh i give it a score out of five matt gives it a score out of five we average a two up mm-hmm. so how realistic is this based off of our understanding of data data science and fr- from that perspective and high score is five out of five Turing's. low score is zero out of five Turing's. so for me if i'm rating this i'm going to give it high points on certain things like um like the, the use the use of the three laws that's actually being considered now for robotics ai is going to get knocked down a points for things like uh certain material science like okay we're going to we're going to have invulnerable robots who can who can dream that's going to be the major <laughs> plot point uh so very similar score to what i gave blade runner for the same reasons i'm going to give this one 3 out of 5
1: so i i actually think this movie is a lot more re- uh, realistic than blade runner i i think that there's some challenges in blade runner with just the way, you know, why do you make a robot that looks exactly like a human? You have this post, you know, robot world that seems to be breaking down. I I, I struggle more with the Blade Runner world as a whole conceptually taken together than I do this one. Because I can totally see, like oh, yeah, we could totally have a robot company that's going to advertise three lost staves and putting a robot in every home. And and I could totally see the conflict between you know three laws versus the preservation of the humanity. I think that's a real conflict that many, many authors come and explore in different ways. So I, I actually go higher. I give it a four out of five. I think we're further away hmm. than 12 years by far. But I think that the challenges that come with a robot driven economy are real and they're coming.
0: You know what? I think now that I'm thinking about this, um I do think it's completely far-fetched that we do have a major corporation with more money than any other company put together who's putting a robot in everyone's home. Alexa, upgrade my score to 3.5. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> There so i'll go, go. 3.5 okay I'll, I'll i'll concede i'll concede i'll concede that all right so uh we're hitting the end of the episode here so i want to thank all the listeners um we're still working on getting our podcasts up so hopefully you're listening to this on itunes spotify google uh hey you know what if you are listening you're enjoying the show please subscribe please rate us uh good or bad it helps out our show um we want to share with your friends you know we're very much sort of startup phase we have to talk about that with data um we're going to be going to a bi-weekly cadence with releasing shows so it's going to be great we look forward to ha- having you with us for a long time anyway for kill all humans i'm tim and i'm matthew we'll see you next time <laughs> And I'm thinking about it. Like, is u.s robotics basically just amazon Could could amazon just be u.s robotics Yes. Holy jeez, I didn't
1: think about that. Well, I, feel... I mean, that's the thing. That's where a robot's going to come from. That's why there's all these emphasis on self-driving cars. It's not about necessarily building a self-driving car. It's about yeah. the data. It's the data. the machine.